0: This is Game Changers Podcast, inspiring conversations with leaders of tomorrow.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the Game Changers Podcast. My name is Ajay and I have Harsh with me. Hey guys. Today on the show we have a very special guest, Jasmine Carr. Jasmine is a world-renowned poet, uh, artist, and writer and illustrator. Thanks a lot for being on the show, Jasmine. Thanks, Thank for you having. for
2: having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: No,
0: definitely. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I know you just, you just had a book signing for your new book yeah. called uh, When You ask Me Where I'm Going yes. with Montague Movement at the university. How was that?
2: It was awesome. So we had um, our Edmonton event today, um, which I was super excited for, um, and the Monsig Movement, which is, you know, an organization local to Edmonton um, and the University of Alberta, um, kind of curated a space where we got to have conversations about mental health and stigma and destigmatizing, you know, these kind of taboo topics, um, while, you know, using poetry as like a, a vehicle to make the conversation happen.
0: Definitely. And shout out to Monsig Movement for actually connecting us with Jasmine so we can have her on. So... Um, going off of this, we want to ask you uh, a little bit about your book, right? You just ra- launched this recently in October. So tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do with this book and what it's about. And
2: yeah. It um, so when you ask me where I'm going is my debut collection of poetry um, and prose and artwork. Um, and it's essentially, um, you know, a book told in multiple voices and multiple perspectives, but ultimately that kind of tries to capture what it feels like to be a woman and more particularly a sick woman living in a society that doesn't always see you or understand you. Um, I grew up in Abbotsford, B.C. Um, you know, I was I was born and raised there and, um, you know, navigating like a society that's not always hospitable to my identity, um, both as a sick and just like me being who I am as like a, a girl and a woman. Um, and there's like a lot to unpack there and I feel like my poetry kind of digs into all of it like you know from immigration and racism to like mental health and feminism and like everything like literally in between um this book is just like what it feels like to be a woman in like
0: today's age wow so do you think uh like a lot of the book comes from you when you were growing up in BC and a lot of your experiences in that, maybe other women also may have shared some of those.
2: Yeah. um, So some of the poems are autobiographical. Um, I have poems that deal directly with like my neighborhood um, in West Abbotsford, um, you know, where, which is that, you know, primarily Punjabi neighborhood, but a neighborhood that's super stigmatized and, um, you know, vilified like in the media um, because of, you know, like, um, you know, gang conflict and like all these sorts of things. Um, and growing up in these kind of spaces, when you see your neighborhood only seen as, like, this one thing, um, you you want to just, like, explain the rest of it. And that's what I try to do with my book, um, talk about all of it and not just, like, those stereotypes. Um, it's, it's complicated, like, growing up where I grew up. Um, and I wish that people understood, like, the nuance of, like, you know, immigrant communities and, like, what is what is actually happening and why. Um, And oftentimes, like, mainstream media doesn't give us that nuance. Mainstream media kind of puts us into a box and, um, you know, describes South Asian youth or Punjabi youth more specifically within, like, these stereotypes. And um, that's kind of what happens when, you know, um, our stories are constantly being told for us so mm-hmm. to to be able to have this book now and to be able to write our stories on our own and to be able to tell our perspectives without that kind of filter of like you know a, a you know a white gaze is like a cool thing to me and something that's like so overdue it's very organic right? yeah you're doing it
0: by yourself so yeah um, a first person uh experience
2: absolutely um so i'm just like super grateful that I get to do this work and um, get to, you know, be one voice among what I hope to be like so many more you know, South Asian women who are taking up space um, in storytelling.
1: That's honestly so dope. The way like you even put that kind of just, you're right, like getting our own perspective in a sense because it's so like organic because it comes from like this different perspective. For so long, like the mainstream media has been dictating the image and to see people like you step into positions of power now, or people and getting people's, like, making people more aware. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Right. So props to you for that. And I guess the thing we want to transition to, do you have a favorite, like, passage or poem from your book that you like yeah.
2: to So us? So um, the title of the book is When You Ask Me Where I'm Going. Um, and folks always ask me what the title means, and it's actually inspired by one of the poems in the book. And I feel like the poem itself, like, encapsulates, like, the meaning. And I don't have to explain any, anything further. So this is on page um, 38. The next time you ask me where I'm going, please recall that I am three parts indecision and one part reckless abandon. That I have seldom bothered to look back at the wreckage I've left in my wake and will never be bothered to master the flames at my fingertips anyways. I am not your poem. I was never your brushstroke. I am not your tragedy or your failed attempts to find meaning. I was never an answer to a question. So when you ask me, like Dawn, if I will rise to your occasion, do not be disappointed when I reply with the desk. That is all I've ever known. Wow. Thanks.
0: Wow. That, that's, yeah, that was an experience. <laughs> <Just listening to laughs> I try to take books on an experience.
2: Like, I think that the one of the things that I love about spoken word poetry is that, um, you know, words are beautiful on paper, but, like, to hear things out loud kind of provides, like, a... A new layer to meaning and like, as a performer like I love taking folks on like a theatrical kind of journey like through those emotions with those like you know rises and falls of like feelings and stuff the
0: delivery of it right and that reminds me this um one of my mentors told me that when like when you actually write something like the words only hold like a s like 20 percent of value yeah. that's actually um, the tone and your body language that does the rest of the 80% of the communication.
2: Absolutely. Like,
0: like you can tell the difference when you read it yourself and when, when the, actually the author reads it out themselves, like, a huge difference.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, one of the things that I've always loved is spoken word. Um, I got into poetry because of, you know, YouTube leading me to, like, all these amazing poets online and just, like, falling in love with how they delivered the work, um, The impact was, like, so intense that it it pushed me, ultimately, like, to start, like, writing, which is pretty cool.
1: Before we dive a little bit into your past, I just wanted to get into... So, I guess, that poem specifically, kind of... Was there anything particular that inspired you to write that, or...?
2: So, it was actually inspired by um, a friend who I was super close to, like, long long ago. Which feels like long ago, but it was, like, several years ago. Time seems to, like, just, like, extend. But um, it was just inspired by this woman um, who... Was super, like, just kind of carefree and did her thing and didn't really apologize for, you know, coming and going and being herself. Um, and I just found her, like, intriguing. So I wrote a poem about her. Wow, that's, yeah.
1: That's cool. And just, it's interesting to see, like, where kind of the seeds of inspiration come from, too. And that's why, that, and you're right, like, storytelling, right? And that's what we're trying to do here, too, kind of share, like, people's story behind the scenes. Yeah. But um, I want to transition now. So, Tell us a little bit about, like, what, what young
2: Jasmine was like. How how would you describe yourself as a child? How was I as a child? Um, so I was, like, a super, like, avid reader as something that, like, was consistent across, like, my life. Like, I was the kid who would have, like, a book with me, like, all the time, and I would, like, walk into, like, walls. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> and just, like... Get in trouble almost for like reading in like non reading settings like the grocery store. Um, so that's just like who I was. Like, I um, I was super passionate about like Harry Potter and like you know, those like kind of like fantasy tales. I loved like kind of getting lost in a story and forgetting like my the space that I was in. Um, as a super super little kid, like when I was in kindergarten or preschool, my mom would always um, read books to me like before bed, and I think that's like where my love for. For reading and writing comes from just like those like early kind of childhood moments. Um, I also think like I was a very shy and quiet and introverted kid, um, which is super interesting because like the work that I do now, it's like mostly public speaking. Based, yeah, performance, right, yeah. public speaking, like being on a stage in front of an audience, um, which definitely does not come naturally to me. Um, and you know I. Would have been the person who tried her best to like kind of blend into the background. Like I didn't want to be noticed, and yet like things kind of happened in life that like led me to like this role, and things kind of changed. So that's right. kind of cool. Yeah.
1: Was um I guess was poetry always kind? Of, I guess when did you get into poetry specifically, or what? Like growing up, were your aspirations always to be a poet?
2: Um, I don't think so. Um, so when I was in the twelfth grade, um, I had a English teacher who gave me the opportunity to do like a free verse poetry writing assignment and before that like you know poetry was this like structured kind of thing that I did not enjoy but it was like more of an assignment you know like being told to write sonnets and like rhyme schemed poems and things with certain beats and that didn't really resonate with me because I felt like I was just trying to fit things into a box but when I had the opportunity to write free verse then it was like I could be as creative as I want and do whatever I wanted which is you know, amazing. Just giving kids the opportunity to do what they want, because um, so much of our lives are structured. Um, so I started reading, you know, po- Sufi poets like Rumi um, in high school, um, and I I remember like being so taken aback by how like so few words on a page could like resonate so deeply, and also like just being amazed at this person who lived like centuries ago could like resonate with me so personally today. I thought it was just like such a cool thing. Um, so my love for it, I, poetry kind of came out of being a reader of poetry. Um, and then in my first year of university, I kind of got super deep into spoken word on YouTube. Um, and I would just like spend hours and hours like watching poets perform. And I was just like, so amazed by like this, like this craft that I just discovered, um, To the point that, like, I wanted to host poetry events, not because I myself thought that I was a poet, but because I just wanted to provide a platform for poets so that I can sit there as an audience member and appreciate this. Um, And long story short, you know, in that first year when I was planning this first event, someone was like, hey, like, you know, are you going to perform? And I was like, I don't perceive myself as having that skill, but, like, I guess I can try if we don't have performers. So I... Decided to try writing something um, and very nervously like brought it to the event and I got up on a stage and performed and that was like the beginning and that was when I was like, wait, like maybe I can, maybe I can do this thing that I love myself.
0: Wow, so that's, that's really interesting that you bring that up, especially because that's your, your, that's your first ever event and you're 19. Yeah. So going off of that, wh- how did you get to where you are now? Like, what's been the journey like? What's that process of growth been?
2: Right. So um, I did my undergrad in English, and I did a concentration in creative writing. Um, my plan, you know, since before I even got into university was to go into teaching. Um, and I thought that I would do English as a simple kind of way to get into teaching because I enjoyed English in high school. So when I did, when I did these creative writing courses, I did it because um, – I found them fun, but I also knew that they would help me finish my program. Um, So I didn't actually realize, like, what was happening or the fact that, like, I could pursue this further. I just thought that I would enjoy these classes while I did it and then move on to the next thing, which is teaching.
1: Um, What was it about teaching that, like, really drew to that?
2: um, So going back to, like, my neighborhood where I grew up, um, I grew up in a primarily Punjabi community. um, But all the teachers at my school were white, Um, And there would be like, you know, things that would happen in our school, like super racist things that would happen where the teachers would say like discriminatory things to like South Asian kids. And I remember like as a kid, like hearing this kind of stuff and feeling uncomfortable and feeling like, you know, hurt by it, but not knowing whether I had any power to actually do anything about it. Um, So becoming an adult um I realized how amazing it would be for me as a Punjabi woman to be a teacher in this community um to just like be able to remind kids that like it's okay to be yourself like when so many people are telling you that you are less than or you were the other just to to be seen is such a cool thing so that's why um I was so like you know dedicated to becoming a teacher and and I really enjoyed teaching as well but um it also contributed to my writing. Right. So um, in my undergrad, um, I started taking these creative writing classes. I love them. Um, Went ahead and finished my English degree and then jumped right into um, my teaching program. So I was super excited to get into that. I I finished that in a year and then I was off in a classroom um, very soon after that. Um, So between when I graduated and when I started working was like about like three weeks and I knew that in that like pocket of three weeks, um, I would have to, I sure I really wanted to go ahead and start working on a manuscript of poetry because I knew that as soon as i our teaching, like I'm not going to have time to do anything else. Um, so now is really my chance if I want to write a poetry manuscript, not really knowing where I could go with it, but just like knowing that I, I had this desire inside of me to write something. So Essentially in that like three week kind of like, um, you know, yeah, in that window, like I, I, you know, opened up my laptop and pulled open this folder on my laptop called poetry where I would store all of my poems that I would, you know, was saving for this magical day that would come along when I decided to write a book, Um, but I never really like, you know, that day didn't didn't necessarily come as like this perfect day, it just kind of came together, but anyways, um went into that folder and I started thinking about like where I could divide things and how I could structure things and whether there were pieces in that folder that I could go ahead and put into a book. And when I started kind of putting things into different spots like a puzzle, I realized, you know, there are empty spaces as well where I need to write new material. So over that three weeks, I had like the inception of like the draft and then around spring break in like March of that year, I finished the draft Um, and then just kind of held on to it, um, waiting to see what would happen. At the same time, I had a friend um, who is published who um, was encouraging me to finish it up so that she could show her editor at her publishing house. So that was like my motivation and my incentive to keep going. Um, She ended up showing it to her publisher and they were interested, but she gave me like the greatest advice had ever been given by anyone in you know the world ever which was that I need to um think about working with a literary agent and at the time like I you know I'd done a whole English degree in creative writing but I had no idea what an
0: agent's job was. So, so what? what is that? What is a
2: literary So agent? a literary agent's job, um, it's kind of like a real estate agent. Um, their, their job is to represent you in negotiations with publishing houses. Um, so if you don't have an agent, you're kind of representing yourself and those neg- negotiations around, um, you know, contracts and things, it's kind of on you. Um, which if you are not experienced in this industry can be like really, really daunting. And especially when you got someone on the other side who has a ton of experience and you're just like new, there's like a power imbalance. So a literary agent makes sure that you are being looked out for, um, that your best interests are being, you know, put on the table. They're looking over your contracts and they're trying to negotiate to get you the best possible contract. So um my friend was like get yourself an agent and I was like where does one find an agent like I have no idea like what does that even mean um because traditionally when you're looking for an agent you have to create a a book proposal and then you send it off to an agent by email and then you you wait a couple months and you see if you get any responses because um agents are you know kind of particular about who they want to work with so I was like I don't know how long this is going to take this is like really like up in the air like what are we going to do with this um and coincidentally um around that time an agent followed me on Instagram and i was like oh this is like really interesting like why, i wonder what she could possibly want to do here um so i knew she was following me um and then i just kind of like tried to think about how, what i want to do with this. so i did my research on her which was super important um a lot of agents they work on particular books. Some people want to work on horror. Some people want to work on, you know, like teen fiction. Some are gonna work on children's books. Like if you're pitching to the wrong person, they're not gonna be interested in your work. Mm-hmm. So I did my research. I realized that unfortunately she was not interested in poetry and she was also not looking for new clients. So I was like, okay, like um maybe that's like kind of a dead end. But just, you know, for the sake of trying, I I did something super risky, which is like, I sent her a DM and which is something you're not supposed to do. And like, I t- do not recommend that people try that. Cause I got very lucky because she replied to me, but otherwise it could look super, super bad. The reason why I was like, I feel like I can DM you is because she followed me first. Hmm. I don't know. That was like a, I, it could have been a, a mess, but I got super lucky. Um, so I DMed her and I said, Hey, like, you know, I, I know that you're not looking for new clients. Um, but I do have this kind of offer on the table with a publishing house. Like, would you be interested in, like, you know, um, just reaching out to someone at your office? Or do you have any suggestions for someone who might be interested in representing me? And then she responded by saying, oh, actually, like, I am looking for new clients. My website's just not updated. Um, and I am looking for poetry. My website's, you know, I just needed to change it on my website. Oh, wow. So I got, like, super, super lucky. And then we had a conversation, like, the next day. And she looked at my manuscript. And she was, like, a yes, like, right away. Um, and that was, like, the beginning of, like, a lot of amazing things. Like, you know, after that, I did my research. I made sure that, like, the contract was, like, right. Because we tend to, as, like, artists, get, like, super excited about things. And then we forget to read the fine print. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's so important because contracts are forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that, like, I'm always, like, trying to, like, drill into people's minds. Like, you need to know what you are assigning. Um, because there are a lot of details that, like, we, we tend to miss.
1: Yeah. And you see that a lot in, like, the music business right now, too. Right? Yeah. Because you see with, like, uh artists wanted to own their masters because for so long they'd just been signing because they got money, but now it's, like, coming back, so I guess to see that's applicable in, like, the spoken word poetry field as well is very enlightening, for sure, to say the least.
2: Yeah, so what happened after that is, you know... um Um, we worked on the proposal to the point that it was like as fine-tuned as possible. And then we pitched it to everywhere, like publishers across North America. Um, And then we received about, you know, five responses from people from different publishers and different editors. Um, And in the end, I got to um, work with uh, my editor at Harper teen um, and she signed me for book one and book two, um, which we're still working on and which was like the best possible outcome. And I never could have imagined that that would have happened.
0: Wow. So I think, so I, I, it's, it sounds like a lot of your books, that's the book that yeah. you kind of spend writing, right? That you just launched now. So how how, like how long of work that is? Like how many years of work is that? Does
2: I mean, that I think that like um, unconsciously it was seven years because I was writing things without realizing that it was going to en- eventually end up in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I sat down to actually like write and then revise and specifically work on this manuscript um it was the course of like a year to a a year and a half of just like focused work and editing and revisions and um, all that kind of stuff so I think like in total it feels like it was you know seven years in the making
0: and a lot of it's like even before the seven years because a lot of what you write about is like kind of fueled by your personal experiences right right growing up what you experienced stuff like that and that's why I think that's like, I don't know. It seems like you that's what you find meaning in when you talk about women and obviously Sikh women and like, you know, as an immigrant and stuff like that. That's what you really find meaning in, right?
2: Yeah. And I think like the best writing is stuff that is authentic to who you are. The world doesn't need another, you know, another book written in someone's voice who's never been through the stuff that they're talking about or has no relationship, I guess, with what they're talking about. I think that when we find ourselves in our work, that's where the most like powerful stories come from. And, you know, like I said, we I didn't grow up like that where you know books sounded like me or looked like me. I didn't realize that you know there could be someone in a book who you know is a sick or like is a sick woman because I'd never seen that before. So to be able to now you know be an adult and have the power to like insert that into my work is such a cool thing um because it's like we're kind of challenging this way the the ways in which we were told that we don't really you know matter in in media or or like literature by by that erasure.
1: That's um. That's actually a really interesting point you bring up, and something I want to touch on that because you also have a lot of fans that aren't s- sick, right? Right. So, what do you think resonates about with your followers about you, specific uh, specifically, like the non-sick followers? What is it? Do you think?
2: Um. So when I write, um, I often describe like my work as a serenade to sick women that I'm engaging in in a public setting. So, and by that, what I mean is, um while everyone in that space can engage in like you know that song or that you know work of art in a personal and meaningful way um, I dedicate that work um, to sick women and the reason why I do that exactly what I said just the fact that that's never really happened for me before so to be able to do that now is like an honor for me um, I think that it's really cool to me that like you know women of all backgrounds and you know people of so many different backgrounds like engage in my work I think that um, a lot of the feedback I get from white women is that you um, you know, my work was an opportunity for them to step out of, you know, their, you know, world and and learn about someone who is different, which I think is like the most like, um, you know, powerful thing that this work can do, just like educate someone else about what it is to, you know, live in our experiences. Um, when there is like, there are these barriers that are often set up um, of like understanding between people.
1: Right. And especially like in modern times, right? Like when you see in the US with Trump, like, There's a lot of focus put on dividing people right? and to kind of have your work be this outlet for people to actually connect and get to know one another. I can only imagine that must be a very powerful feeling. And even I think it's more important than it was in the past, like especially today, because there's a lot of polarization happening. So the fact that there's works like yours that are coming out and being able to, I guess, bring people together rather than dividing them is really important and really should be celebrated, I think. The, one, uh, the question I had for you, so you said you started this when you were 19. Right. What does, like, the process look like of working on your craft? Like, is it you just keep writing? Or, like, how do you know that you're getting better? How do you know that you're, yeah, like, kind of shed some light on that.
2: So in my undergrad, um, I did a lot of creative writing workshops. So essentially what that looked like was, you know, um, 20, you know, writers in a room. Um, everyone submits their, you know, their work. Are their poems or their fiction every week? Um, You read through everyone's stuff and you write down all your edits and you you kind of tear the piece apart to strengthen it. And then we sit back down together and we discuss as a collective um, where we saw like space for growth in each work. Um, And at the beginning of that kind of that whole editing process, like it was it was scary. Like it's like kind of unnerving to see people like tear apart your work when 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 you're so emotionally attached to it. But by the end of it, what happens is your work comes out so much stronger. Um, and that's what I loved about like, you know, doing creative writing in my undergrad. Um, I got so much feedback, um, and so much like, um, critical, like, um, attention to my work that I could begin to kind of have that critical eye on my own work as well. So, um, you know, by the end of like, you know, those, those, all those classes, like I could look at my own work and start to tear apart things that I wouldn't have really noticed before. Um, something really important that I learned in those classes was that, communication isn't just what you intend for your audience to experience it's what the what your audience is actually hearing so I had to kind of step out of my work as like you know being emotionally attached to it and start to think like how is my audience going to take this how is my audience going to understand what I'm trying to say and if they're not understanding then how do I create that understanding without affecting you know my authenticity as as a writer and and the other thing is emotional attachment is such a heavy thing like within like you know art um and writing like we get so attached to what you know that first version of what something is that we can't even see the possibilities for like what what it could be or or what could happen if we we tore the whole thing apart erased everything or throughout the page and started all over again um but once you detach yourself emotionally a little bit um amazing work comes out of that but it's just like a little scary your
0: bias basically yeah because like i don't know like when i was in high school i'd write like an essay and be like this is the best essay of my life and i'd get like a 60 percent on it i'm like what (laughs) you know what i mean so it's like um it's just kind of like a reality check because you you sometimes even you think you did such an amazing job but there's like this blind eye where you have no idea how it would actually come like what a third person's perspective might be so it seems like that was a really insightful. exercise you did to kind of grow your uh, like your literature skills basically
2: yeah so i mean that i think um shaped a lot of my work in a very meaningful way and i'm so thankful that i went through those classes and that's actually the reason why i want to go back to school because i just i really want to be in like that space again where i have like 20 highs on my work um, all at once um and people kind of like um showing me like where there is space for growth
0: okay so um, thanks for sharing that, and you know we got a lot of where you're, uh, where you come from, and a bit of your youth. But kind of want to focus on what, what's going on for you now. And I guess the first thing I want to talk to you about is your best experience so far as a touring poet, because obviously you've done, um, you know, you've done a tour, Australia tour, you've done a UK tour, you've done a North America tour. Uh, we were listening; you were on BBC Radio One as well. So like, seems like there's a lot of great these great experiences that you have. What's one of the best ones that you've had?
2: Um, so when I first started this tour for when you asked me where I'm going um, my first show was in Vancouver, like, um, that was my, my hometown kind of show. Um, and there was this moment, you know, when I, I just got on stage, I looked out into the audience and, um, there was this like little Punjabi girl, like at the back of the room. And she was about like seven years old. And she's looking at me, I'm looking at her. And I was just like, you know, like I talk about this, but you know, in that moment, like, I really like, it was like, it was so, like, visceral and, and real and in my face. Like, just, you know, that it was a reminder of, like, why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's so that, you know, this little girl can look up on the stage and see someone who looks like her and then see herself in that person and ultimately do, what, do you know, things that are beyond, like, you know, what that person on stage is doing. And it was, like, just this powerful kind of reminder that, despite all of the challenges, despite, you know, all of, like, the the self-doubt, all the things that, like, you know, we put in our heads as, like, creatives, um, there is a reason why I'm doing this work, um, and I need to keep doing it, despite the things in my mind that can kind of, like, cloud my vision sometimes.
1: That's, um, and that's a good thing you bring up, actually, I want to touch on that more. So, this self-doubt that comes with, like, taking risks and, just trying new things like how have you been able to overcome that or because you also said you're an introvert right Right. like I can only imagine like you must have gone through a lot of personal growth to get to a point now where you're touring as a poet or like what's the kind of process of that or how do you get yourself to take this leap essentially
2: so I think for Mm -hmm. one thing like I'm I'm hardcore like perfectionist like I really need my work to be like its best self before I'm willing to share and if I see like anything that I want to change after I posted it I just stress about it and I just have to learn how to let it go but um you know for years like I did not share my work publicly on Instagram because I was afraid of like just you know unhelpful and like just
0: Native the kind criticism. of critique, yeah, yeah, like the kind
2: of critique that's not trying to build you up, but mm-hmm. just break you down, and just you know tell you that you shouldn't be here. I was super afraid to, of that to the point that I would you know write my poems, but I'd share them you know with with just my friends. Um, and I I think that if I could talk to myself, like you know talk to my younger self, like what I would say is you know don't let that fear stop you from doing the things that you want to do, uh, because beyond that fear are like the you know things that you could never imagined. Um, but I also know, like, I, I, I can live in that regret, but like, um, things happen when they were supposed to happen. And, um, that didn't stop all the awesome stuff that happened, you know, with my, with my writing. But, um, that's, I guess like, that's my advice to like people that are younger and like trying to, and grappling with that. Um, yeah, like, you know, those fears are founded because the internet is scary, but also like what you are doing is like so powerful and so much more important than, than that doubt.
0: And there's like, there's always going to be people that dislike and spread hate. And if you just try to like please everyone and make sure, you know, no one's sharing that sort of stuff and because yeah. like for every, I don't know who said this, but it's like if there's a lot of people that hate what you're doing, there's also a lot of people that are going to share love for what you doing. Right? It's always polar. So, I guess keeping that in mind and focusing on the love that you've got and you've gotten so much love. Like you you have a huge following. You have amazing turnouts at all these events and like you're doing amazing. Yeah. The um,
1: the other question I have for you is, how um, how have you been kind of been able to like find your community? Does it or I guess yeah? How have you been able to find that in a sense? Do people kind of just come up to you, or how are you able to find like the people that you really speak to in a sense?
2: Um, I think I've met like so many amazing poets online. Um, some of the poets who I'm closest to um like the Gore um who's a poet from California decor on Instagram. Um, we met through Instagram, um, just, like, being, like, mutual followers of one, you know, and mutually appreciating one another's work and, like, just the quality of the work that, you know, she was creating, um, I would just, like, tell her that I love her work, um, and then we connected based around, like, poetry and things like that, and, you know, now she's one of my closest friends, and we've, like, toured together, and, um, you know, I send my poems to her when I'm, like, working on them, and she'll give me, like, her feedback, um, So the internet has been, like, this really cool space where I've, you know, the world has become, like, smaller in a sense, um, where I've had conversations with folks who I never would have thought, you know, um, would be my closest friends, but, like, here we are. Um, And I'm just, like, super grateful that I kind of took the leap and reached out to people on social media because sometimes that can be, like, a daunting thing, um, and you just, you don't want to, like... It's just, you can overthink things a million times, um, but I found that, you know... There are moments where, like, so I'll reach out to someone and they they aren't really interested and aren't very responsive, but other times I'll reach out to someone and they are, like, super supportive and they wanted to reach out as well. Um, so I try my best to, like, build authentic relationships with folks on social media um, and connect um, in meaningful ways like that.
1: Right. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in, like, the usernames, the hashtags, all the likes yeah. and stuff like that, but people kind of forget, like, it's a person on the other Absolutely. end too, right? Absolutely. And using this as, like, these tools are made to dis- bring us closer and connect us and not just be, like, forms of, essentially, popularity. And right. Sense. So, it's really actually, that's really insightful. I didn't even think of that because that's one thing one of our previous guests mentioned, too, that was she's able to fa- form these relationships with people in her industry just mm-hmm. through social media. So, big leveraging point there. Um, the other thing, like, before we go further, so you said you were really, um, like, you're really timid in a sense. You're very scared about putting your work out. Was there something, like, in particular that gave you this confidence or what allowed you to take, like, your first big leap?
2: Um, I think that there were, you know, I was seeing so many sick women begin to share their work on social media. Um, And I was just like... amazed that like they were they were doing this thing that I really wanted to do but like I hadn't yet found the courage to do so and I think just like seeing them flourish and like blossom in their own right um without like this you know fear of like censorship or fear of like how folks would take it was like the the motivation I needed I I'm I've taken so much inspiration from other women um and it's it's helped me in this context the other thing was that I received a lot of, um, positive feedback from, from other folks, which gave me like the kind of courage to be able to, to share publicly. So for example, you know, when I was like 19 years old, um, and I shared in a private, um, you know, space for sick women, um, the love I received there was like the motivation I needed to, you know, propel my work further. Um, so I think that self-love is super important, but sometimes we need reminders from outside of ourselves of like you know what, how amazing we are, and we, and that's okay. Like it's okay for that to come externally sometimes because we're socialized to believe that everything has to magically come from inside, and that's just not how life works. Sometimes we need a jumpstart, right? Um, so I think that was the encouragement I needed, and then it kind of blossomed into all the other stuff. Right.
0: Okay. Um, so I know we, we were kind of basically talking about uh, you know technology, and you're talking about social media and how you connect with all these people. So. I have a really like a general question for you, where because now everything is so technological. There's like Audible. There's all this stuff where it's like, it is literature and like just book writing, poetry, is that somewhat getting lost, or do you think it's finding its way back?
2: Um, so I see the value in sharing online, and I also see the value in having a physical book in front of you. Um, so when I'm sharing online, um, what I loved about Instagram when I first got onto it was the fact that. I could just go out there and say what I have to say, and there's no censorship, there's no um, there's no gatekeeper to tell me which work is valuable and which isn't, um, which tends to, you know, which can sometimes happen. Um, I just love the idea of putting my stuff out there, and someone in the world is gonna see it instantly. Um, conversely, the reason why I've always wanted to do a book is because um, where I'm able to post shorter pieces online, which is, you know, the amount of attention that folks tend to have when they're looking at their phone for a second, then going back to work. Um, when you have a book in your hands, and you're holding it, and, and nothing else is there to distract you, you can engage with the work in a, in a different way. Um, and sometimes you can sit with things longer, and you can reflect um, more meaningfully, because your attention is now singular. Um, I really think that our phones and the way that you know technology and twitter and instagram and all these kind of like you know very quick apps work is that we can't focus the way that we perhaps once could um our attention, attention is yeah like be, right? our minds are constantly
0: going you know unconsciously yeah. like grabbing that phone even if you don't want yeah to
2: like you know we're, we're reading 10 different you know headlines at once and we're processing that and our brains are getting used to processing that really really quickly um So when I disconnect and start reading fiction or, you know, pick up a poetry book, that's when I'm, I'm kind of allowing my brain to come back into the present. Um, And there's like, it's just like, it feels different because my mind is not in this thing that takes me into a million different worlds at once. It's just this one story that I'm experiencing in this moment.
0: And I think like books are just so, so, so valuable. People don't realize because you said you worked on this for like seven years, basically, right? Seven years of your life plus all the experiences you went through, right? And it's all condensed into, like, 100 to 200 pages, seven years of your life, all that work, right? And, like, imagine how much value it holds and so much more value than you can ever find in any sort of Instagram content or or just any sort of, like, tweet or whatever, right? And I think people just fail to realize, like, how much there is to learn from books. And you hear, like, all these amazing, um, you know, the top, um, you know, industry professionals or anybody in their craft, they're all readers because there's just such a huge learning opportunity. And... And, like, to second what you said about um, the attention deficiency, like, I've experienced this personally because I tried reading a book, like, I'm trying to get into the habit. But it's a little bit difficult because you're so used to that instant gratification Mm -hmm. of, you know your music all the time and yeah. just like on your phone yeah and it's hard like to even get through a chapter you're like damn this requires yeah but we did that hard. when we
2: were kids which is wild like you had silent reading yeah. you know what i mean and all you did for 40 minutes straight as a kid is just like look at a book because nothing else to do but you know that just kind of speaks to like how like technology is reshaping like our psychology and like our minds mm-hmm. and it's kind of wild when you think about it like that like that's our crazy. brains are changing it's
0: crazy yeah and i think that's something i'll have to learn to kind of uh, find that balance between technology and kind of use it as an asset and not because like you want to own your phone, don't let your phone on you.
2: Yeah. So one thing that I do when I'm writing, especially, or when I'm reading is I have an app on my phone that just locks me out of Twitter and Instagram and everything. Um, so I'll just like set it to like two hours. And then for that time, like I just can't access those apps and it helps, like, I write things in, like, 20 minutes that I previously could have taken, like, two hours. And it's, like, amazing. I'm like, wow, like, I don't have a, you know, I don't have um, a challenge focusing. I just need to not have a distraction in front of me. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, going forward, I guess, so coming back, we are talking about your touring a little bit. Um, was there kind of, like, a moment, like, you mentioned in Vancouver you had that one hometown kind of feeling, but is there, like, a moment when, especially when you're going on these international tours, where you feel like, this is, like, so surreal, or this is, like, I've kind of made it in a sense, do you get, do you have any moments of that, or how do you feel?
2: Um, okay, so here's a moment, <laughs> I don't know, if this is, like, not like, a I've made it moment, instead, it was just, like, this really, like, um, personal reflection, um, I was in Australia, um, and it was, so, uh, myself and Damnit Gore and a group of our, you know, friends in Australia who were, you know, primarily turban, this thod-wearing six, we were at a restaurant, and, um, you know, like, I'm very used to, like, eyes on me in a racist way. Like, from, you know, where I'm from in Abbotsford, like, it's uh, it's common for folks to, like, glare at me and, like, stare at me and sometimes, like, say, like, you know, racist things to you. So that's how I grew up, used to that kind of, like, attention, that kind of negative attention. So um, I went to Australia and I'm in this restaurant and there was, like, a, you know, a middle-aged white woman and, and she's just, like, staring at myself and my friends, like with what i perceived to be like fear um and that really like shook me up and i i turned to my friend and i was like hey like you know she's she's staring at us um so my friend reached out to her and she's like hey like you know are you are you okay like why are you looking at my friends um and just kind of like you know calling her out like that um just to to get her to like reflect um and she shared that she was actually like looking at us cuz she recognized me from instagram And in that moment, like, you know, my friends were like, oh, that's so cool and random. And I I didn't perceive it like that. I was like, how strange is it that, like, I'm so used to, like, hate that, like, someone is looking at me like a positive way for once. And I'm like, my guards are up. And you kind of, like, blame me for having my guards up because, like, this is, like, a reality of, like, my life. So today I just think about that and just, like, how, like, what it means. And I'm trying to still, like, unpack it. Um, But for others, that would have been, like, a cool thing. For me, it was just, like, a reminder, like, that, you know, I am different to this point, that I have to kind of be, like, critical of, like, every interaction I have with folks. Mm -hmm.
0: So I think going off of that, uh, you know, he's talking about this tour and all these, you know, that experience you have, you made it. How did you get to that point where you're getting offers to, you know, go to Australia and UK? And, like, how did you develop yourself internationally? Because I know Canada... Like yeah, if you're in Toronto or Vancouver, yes, there's opportunities. But on um, to get to develop yourself to an international level, I think that's commendable. So how do you get from like from Vancouver to you know all these amazing places?
2: I think it's just like community building, um, and building authentic connections with people. That I so I personally like hate the word networking because it just sounds so gross to me. I would rather build like authentic, meaningful relationships with folks than just like network with folks for like my personal gain. Like that's just on me. Um, so when it came to like, you know, like connecting with people in different communities, a lot of it came from just like building friendships with folks, um, and not expecting anything else out of it. You know what I mean? Um, so like my friends in Australia who hosted me, um, they, they connected with my work. Um, they, you know, had, um, you know, funding within the local Sikh community that allowed them to be able to support artists who they believe in. Um, and what I think is amazing about, like, the Sikh community especially is that we, we do have, like, this, this support for one another as, like, artists um, where, you know, if, if I have the resources in BC to host a poetry event, I'm going to go ahead and try my best to support artists from other communities and have them come out to BC. And then folks tend to do the same thing in Toronto and, like, California and, you know, the East Coast and yeah. the UK and Australia. So a lot of, a lot of it has just been, like, um, the Punjabi and Sikh communities really pushing arts in their local area and wanting to bring in artists from other spaces um which I think is like a really like unique thing that we have going on we have like this amazing history of like you know patron patroning the arts um and we pay it forward almost with one another like even today
1: the one question I have to ask is you said like a lot of your support comes from this the Sikh community yeah our, the Punjabi community coming together right I guess how have you kind of been able to you're almost setting the trend in a way of going off the beaten path right like everyone's parents or most people's parents especially in our community are like you have to go to university get this sort of stable job how are you kind of able to transcend that in a way and how are you able to like keep paving the way
2: um so I think that there were definitely moments when I experienced that I think that my sureness about what I was doing was what allowed me to continue despite, you know, someone perhaps saying, hey, maybe this isn't a great idea or maybe you should just, like, stick to, like, a traditional career or, you know, um, focus on school. Um, I am super cognizant of the fact that, you know, for a lot of our immigrant families, um, that desire to, like, encourage your kids on a traditional path isn't malicious. It comes from just, you know, a fear of insecurity when, you know, you have you know, your immigrant parents coming from, you know, Punjab or somewhere else um, where their lives are not always stable and, you know, money is not always stable and, you know, working hard labor jobs to just like, you know, you know, build something for their children here and then just hoping that their children can build on that foundation um, and ultimately like just like have a peaceful life. So I get that impulse. Absolutely. I also conversely understand why it's so important to stick to what feels right in your gut because that is your life and that is, you know, the rest of your existence. And um, if your art is speaking to you or your poetry or your music or whatever it is, if that really is who you are, nothing in the world, in my opinion, should be able to, like, change that. So that was who I was. Like, even if I was told, no, I'm still going to go ahead and do it because I know that this feels so organic and so, like, true to who I am, Um, And I had to kind of balance that and, you know, honor both of those like parts of myself and, you know, all of all of what I was hearing. Right. Um, And what's amazing is like, you know, um, even though like there were times when, you know, my mom might have been like super nervous about like, you know, me going down a non-traditional path. um, Fast forward in time, when things started coming together, I think that she could tangibly see what was happening. And then when she could tangibly see what was happening, then it was like, okay, this makes sense and, you know, go for it. But it took that process, it took that process of growth. I I often say that our parents are growing up with us in the sense that, like, you know, I'm the oldest child. Like, I'm the first, like, teenager that my parents raised, the first adult um, in, in, you know, in their family. Um, so they had previously not raised a teenager and that's like something you got to figure out, like, you know, as, as a parent as well. And we don't really see that as like kids sometimes.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but they're figuring things out and things change and their perspectives also change. Right. So just holding space for that and being patient is like a huge thing.
0: I think that's a really great perspective you kind of bring up because often we have these expectations of our parents to just be perfect. Right. And we also have to understand they come from a place they, like we have an opportunity that they didn't have they just have to work, like, 12 hours a day, not because they want to, but because they got to feed their families, yeah. right? And we now, they gave us this platform, they gave us this opportunity that, hey, you know, you're, we brought you to this position where you can do whatever you want to. like, And they want to give us an opportunity because they just want, like, the basic for us, right? What they had or a, a bit more. And, you know, like I, I, I tell my mom, like, this all the time, like, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to self-actualize and kind of think about, oh, what brings me purpose? What brings me that? And not just focus on, you know, just to meet my survival needs. That's yeah. a very lucky... But um, you, you don't even realize, like, how lucky we are to be able to do that. Yeah,
2: I feel like that's a quote that I read on Twitter. Um, something essentially saying that, like, you know, it was our parents' um, greatest hope to just, like, survive. And it's our, you know, luxury to self-actualize. And, again, like, what a what a blessing that is that we have exactly. that opportunity, right?
1: Right. Um, <clears throat> so now you're doing this full-time, right? Uh, the one thing I want to ask you, does it... Kind of change in a sense because from something you were just doing on the side like a passion of yours do you feel more pressure now or how i guess has your creative process changed or anything or does it feel different in a sense
2: um so i think that having the thing that you love the most become your job um definitely changes things like you know there is that saying like if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life and that's not true because when you do what you love and it's your job um now you have to do an even better job. And you you have that kind of, like, um, that force within you trying to make you do something beyond what you've done before almost um so it can put pressure on you definitely i think that when you're working within like a set time frame for example of when a project should be done um that organic kind of like process of getting to where you want to be doesn't always happen because you just have to work um so like for example like um i would set when i'm writing um, a novel or like a longer manuscript like i have to set like a daily writing goal for myself and I can't just wait around for the inspiration to arise because like this is my job so I need to find something inside of myself that writes that part of my manuscript that day and whether it's perfect or not that's okay but I need something on paper so that I can build upon it and revise and um, improve the writing. Um, So there's definitely like a structure um, to working as like an author. Um, if If you don't have that structure then you're just waiting for a non-existent magical day of inspiration to hit and nothing will actually come of your work. Um, I think the other bit of pressure when you're working in a creative field is that, you know, you're taking this thing that you love and that is is just, like, a part of you and now you need to sell it. Um, and that, like, that kind of melding of, like, your art with like a capitalist industry can kind of take the soul out of you sometimes and you have to kind of remind yourself of who you are in the process of that um because we can get very caught up in numbers and sales and like meeting quotas and all that kind of stuff that's like on the business side um and then forget like why the work started in the first place so it's like a matter of like balancing I think
1: how like how do you reconcile the two because that's that's a big thing right because some people think there's like, you probably have an idea, like, some things might sell better than others, right? But co- not compromising that with what you actually want to write about. How do you kind of reconcile the two?
2: I really, in my heart, believe that um, the most impactful writing is authentic. Right. Um, no, I don't believe that um, just watering down ideas to be, like, super universal and, like, almost, like, like meaningless or tasteless really is what people want. Like, I feel like people want to hear the the, the author through the work. And um, I, through that commitment, that's how I stick to who I am. Um, because I know it would be so easy to just, like, sound um, like what I think would sell. Um... But the poems in the book that have resonated with folks the most have been sometimes have been the ones that I that I was afraid to write. You know those poems that are like personal and and reflect like my, who I am as like a Sikh woman or a Punjabi woman. It's those poems that have like left like a mark on folks, and I want I want to create work that like echoes and not just stuff that kind of you you double tap or you like in that moment, but then forget about like ten minutes later.
0: And I think that's why. Um, There's so many people that kind of resonate with what you're doing because it's such, it's so genuine and authentic. It's not just you're just trying to put out work there. It's very, um, it's very like organic in that sense. And people kind of relate and they feel your words, right? They're not just reading them. They kind of feel what you're saying. So like, I think that's one of the things why I can understand why you've kind of grown so much and like something we can definitely appreciate um, so going off of that, we want to do uh, the segment that we have uh, called "Looking Back," okay. where we kind of um, kind of allow you to reminisce over like something when you early started on your career, like an Instagram post or a tweet or something. Just kind of look over it. So, do you have something of that sort?
2: Yeah.
1: It was that photo you were showing us earlier about at the cafe, right? What was the name of the cafe? Yeah, so the
2: cafe was Heartwood Community Cafe. um, And this picture, which was taken in August of of 2016, um, was at the last poetry event that the cafe hosted because, um, you know, this is an amazing space driven by social justice politics um where like people come together and like organize and like you know have events and all kinds of stuff um but oftentimes those spaces are not sustainable um in a financial sense um and that's kind of what happened to the space so they had to close down um but that cafe was one of the plate you know the venue for one of my first events that I ever hosted. So it held, like, a lot of memories for me. Um, And then just, like, looking at the picture, like, it just, like, takes me back to, like, a time where I I felt like a different person almost because we grow so much um, just, like, on a daily basis. But, like, to think back to, like, you know, 2016 even is, like, wild to me.
1: I want to dig a little deeper. Like, what exactly do you feel, like, what are the feelings you kind of get when you reminisce on that photo versus where you are now, in a sense? Like... Uh,
2: I think that, like, um, I didn't know, like, what was to come.
1: Yeah.
2: I was just, like, being super present in that moment and and listening to these poets and just, like, feeling gratitude to be in a space where I got to to hear, like, an art form that, that makes me authentically happy. Um, I think that, like, my happiest moments in life have not been when I'm on the stage, but when I'm sitting in the audience experiencing, like, spoken word, um... And one of my happiest moments in life was in this cafe, like just like sitting there feeling grateful to to be able to listen to someone's art. Like that That gave me authentic joy. Um, and that's what I feel, just like that freedom from like all of like the kind of business constraints of like life that, that kind of can bog us down sometimes or stress us out. Um, just returning to that part of myself um, that was just like, just happy to be there. The presence, and just like free, totally moment. present. Yeah. It's kind of amazing.
0: So you know, as we kind of we kind of talked about what you what's going on for you now, but we want to kind of transition into you know what's there, what's the next step for you in the future? I know you said you have uh, a second book coming. Yeah. Out.
2: Um. So when I go home tomorrow, um, I am going to head back home, um, and start working on edits for my second book. Um, so I had the first draft of book two written, um, and book tra- book two is more of like a, like a traditional novel in the sense that, um, you know, it's primarily written in prose, but also in poetry as well. Um, so I spent, um, you know, the better half of the year working on that first draft and now, you know, after getting edits from my editor, I'm going to go ahead and like, um, apply all of all of that feedback and create the final copy of the book. So I've got two months to do that and I'm I'm very nervous but also like super excited to make that happen and then see this next book like come out in the world eventually.
1: Right. What is like what does kind of success look for, look like for you? Or what do you want like your legacy to be?
2: Um to me success looks like staying authentic to myself. Um I think that if I can die while being true to who I am, then I will have been successful. Um, like, from a Sikh perspective, like, I have always, um, you know, as long as I have, like, you know, you know, read Sikh scriptures, understood that, like, everything in life is temporary. Um, nothing, no amount of, like, attention folks give you, no amount of wealth, like, none of that really will stick with you forever, and all that stuff is super, super temporary. Um, so to get caught up in it, um, it's, like, to, it is to be misguided, um, so just to say, stay authentic to myself and my craft, and to continue creating art that I believe in, I think would make me successful, and I could live with myself if that was the case.
0: Right. Definitely. And I think that resonates with me too. I can completely understand what you're saying. That contentment of when you go home and you're like, hey, you know, I'm, like if something were to ever happen to me, I would I would be very satisfied yeah. because I'm on that I'm on the right path, even if I haven't reached that envisioned destination. I'm on the right path towards it, right?
2: Absolutely. And
0: I think going off of that, I would like to ask, like, because there's so many new um, young authors and poets coming out, what, what message would you have for them?
2: Trust your art um, and don't let fear dictate what you do and don't do because beautiful things happen when you, you step outside the bounds of your fear. Um, and that's what I would say to myself and that's what I would say to like, anyone out there. Um, also know that... Um, Right. Becoming an amazing author is a process of growth. No one is like born just like dropping books like J.K. Rowling. It comes from like a lot of work and it comes from edits and you're, you know, my favorite author, one of my favorite authors, Ocean Vuong, wrote 12 drafts of his best-selling book, um, you know, On Earth for Briefly Gorgeous. That that didn't just come out the first time perfect. It came with a lot of work. So open yourself up to becoming the author or the you know the creative that you you can be. Believe that you can get there, but know that it will be a process of work.
1: Right. The and one last thing, actually, I wanted to touch on that we didn't touch on earlier. But you were featured at the 2018 AMAs, right? With I believe J Lo featured your poem. Yeah. Scream was it? Yeah. Um, like what did that moment kind of mean for you?
2: Um. So. That moment came after, you know, a week where my work, well, that poem went viral on the internet and it went viral because, you know, my words were changed around, edited, altered, like folks like, you know, crossed out, you know, a word for my poem and replaced the word scream with vote. Um it came after me feeling so uncomfortable with this like random edit that someone else did without permission that I, that I wrote about how uncomfortable I was. And I wrote about how it's not okay to take my work without permission, without crediting me or without, you know, honoring my original purpose. Um, when I shared that feedback with my audience, um, people resonated with that, which I was so grateful for because I was so scared to like speak up for myself. Um, but people resonated with that and, and ultimately me speaking up for myself allowed that poem in its original form to like find more people that it was meant for and I think that's how um Jayla found it so like you know when it was when it was there um it was like a moment of you know just appreciating the fact that me standing up for myself and my art um you know meant that more people got access to it which which was like very reaffirming and it was also this cool moment you know where I got to appreciate the fact that so many sick girls, you know, sitting at home, got to like see their name, like God, um, on a TV, which is right. like such a, you know, I'm kind of it's it's kind of a cool thing. I'm um, just to be able to see yourself in like the media that like you you consume. Um, so I think that's why it was so cool to me, right. just the fact that it pushed our stories forward in like a small way.
1: Right. And you've attributed a lot of your success to, like, being true to yourself, right? What advice would you have for, like, younger people, especially minorities that are kind of... There's always, like, this societal prefe- uh, pressure to conform. Like, how? what advice would you have for, like, staying true to yourself and the power that that?
2: I think that um, it's easy to fall into those patterns of fear that tell us that You have to just do what everybody else is doing in order to, you know, achieve this level of, like, success or whatever that means. Um, But the world doesn't just want someone that sounds like everyone else. Folks are tired of that. Um, People want you to be you. And that's why folks are going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you because you fit into, you know, a comparison to someone else. Um, People are looking for something that's unique. So be that unique thing. Be yourself. Um, and, And let your audience naturally build around that.
1: Cool. And the last question we have for you, we asked all our guests this in one word, like well, how would you define a game changer?
2: Let me think on that for a second. I would define a game changer as that moment where you begin to believe in your own hype, which is like kind of cliche, but I really believe that when you believe in yourself enough, um, to, to own your talent and not make apologies for it and not come with like, oh, you know, um, I'm not there yet, but I'm sorry, but I'm trying, but I'm kind of a poet, but like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm an aspiring writer, whatever that means. When you just kind of own your talent and say, yeah, I'm a writer, um, folks believe it. And you have to be the first person to believe in yourself. Um, and then that kind of authentic- that authenticity follows and people will, will buy into um, your work. But it comes from taking that time to to not discount who you are and what your talent is. Right.
0: That kind of reminds me of this one quote. Um, it's one of my favorite quotes where it's like, "It's not our um, it's not our darkness, but our light that frightens us the most." Yeah. And like, it kind of resonates to what you just said about you know just trusting your hype, like you said. And yeah. Believing in the path that you're on and love that you're getting
2: absolutely I think we're constantly knocking ourselves down um and there's no reason why we have to do that um because we're doing amazing things and and that's that's cool that's okay exactly.
1: right. all right um that's essentially all the questions we had for you thanks a lot for being on the show I'm sure it was enlightening for us and for sure for our viewers as well we'll just the last little bit we'll give you like a platform where can people find your book where can people find you on Instagram just I guess your opportunity
2: to promote yourself and plug yourself. Yeah. Um, so you can find my book um, at your local bookstore. Um, I'm big on like buying from indie bookstores because it's hard to own an independent bookstore. You can also find me at like chapters and Indigo um, and online, at uh, your favorite, you know, online bookseller. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Justmun. J U S M U N um if you like listening to twitter rants or reading twitter rants, you can find me on twitter um my twitter handle is jasmine j-u-s-m-u-n gore k-a-u-r um and if you're on neither platform you can find me on my website which is jasminegore.com j a s m i n k a u j-s-m-i-n-k-a-u-r.com all
0: right all right well thanks so much for being on and it was enlightening um listening to your poetry and your words and just your experience is amazing for us and I think I learned so much just from this podcast to hear you talk about your experience and your story. So thanks so much for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching and we'll have this podcast out soon. Uh, stay tuned and we'll see you later.